When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Then you start engaging with people who really do see you as a person and who you are. Because, you know, mm-hmm. that, and then they will come to you because that thing in your life, you once you open a door or you become comfortable in yourself, you attract the people like that. And the ones who don't, well, then you keep walking, right? Hello again, I'm Emmeline Mondo and this is Mondo Moments. Life is made up of millions of tiny moments. I believe one of our tasks as humans is to be present for as many of them as possible. When you reflect on the unforgettable events or incredible memories in your life, zoom in and there will be these little moments before or after the event that sit in your heart space. The moment that you knew things would never be the same again the hour you felt the shift, the minute that saved your life or the second that changed it. These are the moments that build movements. Sometimes they are global and other times it's just the simple first step to change. Join me as I uncover these moments with my inspiring, innovative and extraordinary guests. Othello D'Souza Hartley is a mixed media artist based in London. His artistic mediums include photography, film, performance, sound, drawing and painting. He received an MA in Fine Art from Camberwell College of the Arts and previously studied photography at Central St Martins. Othello's work explores identity, masculinity, gender, emotions and the changing perception of the black body. I sat down to speak with Othello on a blustery Friday morning. He shared stories of home that made me understand him a little more, and his unique and curious way of being was ever-present. The detail in his art is mirrored in his life. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Othello, I'm so honoured to be speaking with you today. I spent the morning looking at your pieces and your work, and I was reminded of your brilliance. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. A little, t- a little tired today, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you've been. You did tell me before we started recording, you'd been painting, right? Yeah, I was painting till twelve o'clock last night. Well, t- yeah, twelve o'clock last night. Yeah, I know those. Uh, we were talking about those um, when you get in the zone and you just feel like you need to keep going. You just kind of have to listen to it. Mm. So good on you. Um, right. I actually want to begin this conversation. I want to be. I want to look in to a bit of your childhood because I've I've met you as a man and there are elements of you that I feel elements that I find really really intriguing mm-hmm. and part of that is your um your way of being and a kind of like a, a freedom that I feel that is really important to you but before we get to today and everything that you've created um can you tell me a little bit about growing up because I think were you born in London were you born in the UK yeah, so I, I, I was born in, in London I was born um in Islington and geez, do you want to talk about my bit about my life oh I've come yeah from- well like just I'd like to know that when you realized you'd be an artist and what inspired that and also um just you know growing up so Islington we're talking London like maybe 80s I think I'm guessing but like I'm not I'm guessing that there weren't many people who had the life that you've shaped for yourself now. So I'm curious about what inspired you and what moved you as a boy. Okay, so the thing is, I didn't ever decide to become an artist. It just happened. Just happened. Wow. Um, when I was a child, I was always doing like dressing up. Mm. I would dress up and do plays at home. And um, recently, it's funny because I met a friend of mine who knew me back, you know, when I was growing up and said to me, you was always sketching, but I don't remember this. Really? Yeah, but I remember always doing 
um, dressing up and doing plays at home. And then I remember that I I was um, wanted to do ballet when I was a child. But I remember I was story, but never being brave enough to ask my dad because we'd gone pick up my sister from ballet. Yeah, in the back of the car, and I've always wanted to do ballet. And I was like, uh. and then when I became a teenager, I I I went off and um, started doing went to performing arts school. Yeah, um, in Camden. I was going to performance art school on on the weekends. Yeah, and and then it sort of continued from there. And I then I got into uh, did some drama. I went to like this uh, drama school to go to on Tuesday evenings as well. And they just continued from there. I think whack. It still it, it still existed. It's yeah, I think I've heard of it. So can I ask? Were your parents also because you're called Othello, which I love about you? <laughs> I wonder. Were your parents like um, really into you being in the arts? And are you named after Shakespeare's Othello? Yeah, yeah, I am. And so what happened was my 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 dad wasn't my parents my mum was, was the more the person pushing us to be creative because she was really interested in the music. Mm. The story is that she had opportunity to sing when she was younger, but dad didn't let her go. Mm. And so she was interested in music more than any other arts. My dad was is creative, but he was much more of a he was more into um I would say more like sciences um but so that was his thing. And yeah, he, he was against art because he well, not because he was against it, but obviously my dad was a generation where you know you got to get a job and not going to pay. So he right. was more like, oh, you need to be like they were always pushing me to be a doctor. Like, oh, you be a doctor, you be a doctor, and then second from a doctor would be like a lawyer. Yeah, in the arts. But I just continued and I just continued and continued. And believe it or not, I never made a conscious decision. I just knew at. I just knew that was something that I wanted to do. And at some point I just said, I'm just going to pursue this life. But I remember being, when I was a kid saying to myself that I don't want a normal life, which I didn't mm. understand what a normal life was. Yeah. I remember, I, I knew deep down inside, you know, a child, you can't, when you have ideas and you have dreams, but they're not formalized because they don't come from nowhere, but they're just like visions that you get of your future. I yeah. Everybody gets that. But I could, but I deep down, if I really be honest, knew that I didn't want, a normal life, which I didn't mm. know what a normal life was. Yeah, I yeah. I wanted something different. And I think um, even at school, I didn't really, I felt like um, sometimes I didn't fit in and um, certain boys that I was growing up with. And I, I noticed that. But you, again, you're not really aware of it, but there's something inside of you. Yes, you, yes. You don't really fit in. You're just, you're a bit different. And they noticed it. And there was always comments, but it just didn't, manifest until I got to that and I thought you know what I just need to find my path mm. and then when you find your path you continue but I actually to be honest with you I think his arts was calling me from since I was a child and then he, as your confidence grow it the first I was going to do performance first but then I realized I didn't really like being in front of the stage but I knew I liked performance yeah and I was always doing photography and then that kind of took off first but the other practices were there, and then I wanted to find a way, as you know, as you grow as an artist, to kind of bring things together and then stretch the other parts of your creativity. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I love, I mean, oh, that see that insight is so glorious because as you were speaking, I was also now having visions of some of the exhibitions that you've gone on to do. Mm. But even from that young age, as a boy, you were exploring dressing up. You you were intrigued by the ballet that your sister was going to, and you knew within yourself that you wanted to do things a little mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. and then um in your project so much of one of the things that I'm drawn to is that I see that your eye has a real appreciation for the human body mm -hmm. and and form and there's a kind of like the way that it's undressed but also celebrated mm. um it's like seen and raw and it's like those things had kind of always been in you yeah so what I would say to you a lot of that comes from, because I'm obsessed with contemporary dance and ballet. Mm -hmm. I go to a lot of performance and I just love how the body moves. Yeah. There's one key thing I will say in all of this is that having a dad, even though he wasn't, um, this is going back a little bit, because this will put yeah. together. Having a mom that was always taking me to different things, um, taking me to different things and showing me different things and 
keeping me open. And we used to go for like drives and they show me different areas. Yeah. And would, dad would like, we used to do this thing called Sun the Drives. We just go around different areas. And oh. yeah. And then my having my mum and my dad and having a father who kind of like, he was really quite ambitious as a person. Like he would, but having that kind of stability in my life in, yeah. with the parents, even though outside might have been a bit different to that. Mm. That was kind of a good starting base for my life, and then having parents who have, who had all different cross sections of people coming into the home. Mm. And we, I, you know, I've always said this, and this is really important that we had like my Irish auntie, then another person, this Indian lady, then a Spanish. So when you grow up with a cross section of people, it makes you a different person. Yeah, when totally. Out, not just people within our community, but outside of that community, outside of your culture. I think that really gives you a good... Um, grounding. Grounding, yeah. And then, obviously, you said that I came from... I've always been observant and I've always been a daydreamer. I used to spend hours when I was a kid just daydreaming in my bedroom. Yeah, yeah. I'd be at school and I'd be daydreaming. I'm just, I'm just a dreamer. I dream and I visually dream things in my head. Yeah. I usually dream stories in my head when I was a kid. It's so, yeah, I I love hearing this because I feel this in you as a man, because the grounding again, as you say, with your mum and dad, mm. like sometimes in East London, like you, there was a narrative kind of more through the 90s, I think, but mm. like where artists had to be these like disheveled hot messes, like on drugs and like not knowing where they were going and stuff. Mm. All the stereotypes of mm. obviously not all artists are like that, but when like with you what I saw at saw in as an artist was that you can be curious playful different and and be grounded and you always had that sense of I mean that's not to say that I'm not making the assumption Mm. that everything is always smooth sailing but it sounds like having that sort of like stability at home Mm -hmm. um even just the presence of two parents mm. meant that you had that sort of anchor, even though you yeah, aspired exactly. to yeah. you aspired to do something different. You talk about art just sort of happening and not choosing it, but did you? When did you decide to study it? Because you did the you did the fine arts, right? So the start, the, that all started. The journey started in about mm, the late nineties, yeah. And then I studied. I was at St Martin's. I didn't then. I took a break, a quite big break, and then I went on to do an MA in fine art. I thought that, you know what, I was doing everything else, I was doing my work, and I started to get commissions, but one of the things that I've, I, I felt that in myself mm. I was lacking was contextualization. Right. I, I it was there, but it was just that I needed to be able to express it more, mm. and I also needed to understand about working a bit slower in my practice because I was more of a... So that, then I went on to do this MA at Camberwell. Mm. So I had this amazing um, lecturer who really helped, and she was quite mm. tough. She was the head of our department, Rebecca Fortrum. And yeah, Rebecca Fortrum was lecture, and she was quite, she would do things like, I'll be having the crit, and she'd just look at me and with no light thing, and she would literally watch the, 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 the ground open up and swallow me when we took about my work with no with nothing in her eyes, just a blank stare. And then at the end, they should come up to me and say, did you enjoy that? And I was like, <laughs> that is so psychotic. It's like, but you know what? It gave me a great, doing that MA changed everything. It gave me such a grounding about, yes, being creative, but also to really understand and formalise your work and have more context behind it. Do you think that sort of intense, she gave the sort of, um, the attention and intensity for you to truly look at yourself yeah, and also what it does is, like, for me, it's like, I always like to continue to learn. So that was, like, the, the, the next step that was missing from my practice. Mm. But before it was, I was doing the okay practice, but it gave me, like, a self-confidence to go even deeper into my practice. Mm-hmm. And also to let, let go of certain things, because my work's becoming a lot more silent and it's a lot more still and not having to have so many layers and sometimes just having simplicity in the work. So I think that was, the, that was one of the switches. Yeah. And then continually keep practicing and then get in this new studio. I finally found an environment and a studio that, um, well, I need a bigger studio now, actually, too small for me now, but <laughs> the real space to really focus on the work. And that was when I got that studio in 2018, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And is that where the, so I would like to lean into um, the masculinity and exploring that. Is that mm. 
from where the masculinity work was born. No, so the masculinity was born on my MA course. Oh, right. Okay. So, so prior. So prior, right. to, prior right. to that, what that studio has just made me, made me do is actually push my practice further. So I've got a, a space, a, finally a space where I'm around other inspiring artists and mm. it's really pushed me to push my work. Yeah. Further. And also taking on a studio. I've never taken on a studio before, but this is quite an expensive studio. It's not, it's, not, it's you know, it's, it's a cost. So it's like, you've got to get serious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, I'm really pushing and my practice and now it's pushed it so far that now I need to get a bigger studio. Yeah. So. When you, so you're represented by a gallery, right? No, I'm not. No, no, not now. Oh, you used to be. Um, and so what, what's the difference with when you're working by yourself in terms of like taking on a studio like that with pieces and commissions and that kind of thing do you now feel a sense of freedom because you're sort of like creating what comes up and then no 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 the gallery never put pressure on me just that obviously we know there's an explosion of the African art market in the last couple of years yeah the the problem from I've had is that not as a problem but it's where do you place me within this market and I just had me and my gallery they didn't put no pressure on me but it was like the work that I'm producing doesn't fit the kind of the stereotype narrative of what African art should be Wow. Um, and that's what you get a lot in the art world. So uh, you get some of the African artists, they want a, the people who control the, the, the art world, they want a specific a sort of narrative. Um, so I don't really fall into that. My work's not, it has some colour, but my work, my, my palette is quite dark. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a conflict there. And so that wasn't the re- so that So there was never pressure for the gallery, but I just felt that I'm not, my work is, that, is not in that market. I need to, my market needs to be a broad market. Yeah. And so... Um, I think that's where my thing. So there's no pressure. So all it, all I'm doing for myself is that I, you know, is that point in life when you become so comfortable with every part of your life connects, like my home life, the way I dress, everything, all connects. Yeah. And so the work that I'm producing is solely from within me. It's yeah. no pressure, and you get to the stage where it's like, well, then the people who like your work will come to you. So now, if I get a gallery now, it will be the gallery that appreciates the work. Yeah. I mean, there is a woman well, selling... Sorry, sorry. No, well, this is why... This is why I adore you and I think that your story is so important because that little piece there that I think a lot of Black artists will will have this experience in which... Um, institutions or labels or, you know, I've spoken to musicians who've had the same thing where um, they want to present you as a version of blackness that they see or that will sell Mm -hmm. when the true act of, um, of like be of freedom actually Mm -hmm. is to do what you want to do on the grounds of your expression and not to fall into another bracket. And, you know, I think parts of, Again, why I love you, why I think your story is important is because it might take a bit longer to maybe be seen or be understood when you choose this path. Mm. But it's so important that we not only see examples of choosing your expression based on what's coming from within, um, but but it's important for your growth and you're choosing you over fitting into a box mm-hmm. and what what they miss what's so crazy is that what the institutions miss is that that is the radical act there that's the most radical act actually allowing an artist to just express without falling into a bracket that you want to sell and I wouldn't fit in the box I've always I've always had people challenging me like you know from both sides you know people always question me like oh you you know you're you know we won't get into it but you know people always questioned you like whether you know you're um, the person who you are in in, in certain respects, and I've, to be honest, with you, I've never really fitted in a box. I, the way I always look at it is that I know who I am. I don't mm. need to go around talking about it because I get up in the morning looking in the mirror, I know who I am, and mm. so I don't really tag on to when people say like, I know there's this whole question now about they put you like, are you a black artist? I'm just like I'm an artist, and I and I understand why some artists do those sort of things and the, and the reason behind it because we know there is there is this there isn't the reason behind it, but it's just, I'm trying to just be true to myself. And most of the days I'm just a fellow being a fellow. Yeah, <laughs> you so are. I mean, the, the, and there's so much power in that, but you know, in that, because I know that there might be black listeners or, you know, young aspiring black artists who are like, yeah, but like as a black artist, this or that, what, 
the way that you seem to have explored this is let your work speak. So even though, you know, you're committed to being who you are, um, your exhibitions and sort of collections do mainly incorporate black bodies. Mm -hmm. Like the piece that I was in, um, that was all black women, right? And that was a sort of celebration. Exactly. Do you feel that that's sort of your angle? Like you just let your work speak? Exactly. And I'm actually quite a quiet person. I'm very private outside of, outside of the, you know, everything else. I'm quite a private person. Mm, mm. My work is, work is my, is my voice. I'm yeah. Voice. So I don't need to, my work, this is, this is what I give. This is my, this is my, my language. Um, Can you talk a bit about what inspired you to do the, the project? The, the project that I was in was called I Am, right? Or Yeah, so I Am. So that in from many years of conversations with black women, my by hearing things when I go and visit my grandmother who was sort of mixed, she's mixed race kind of thing. And this is whole thing about the um colorization in the black community. And I'm not really actually talking about the white community, I'm talking about the black community, colorization in the black community, mm. and also the perceptions of black women as not being attractive. Mm. My things come from everywhere. From things like popular culture, watching this documentary about how black men on dating apps are the least likely to find dates on dating apps because they're the least desired women. Mm. Um, and things like that, and black women not considered beautiful. And and then you got from like things in slavery and then like the colorization in our own communities. It's all these things and I've been hearing about black men for years and it's a conversation to black females, my friends. Yeah. Well, you know what? I need to do a project. I was doing a masculine project. I thought I need to do a project that speaks to, one, how I see um, black women. But yeah. I highlight the strength and the power that the black women that I know. Yeah. And to be honest with you, a lot of who I am has been shaped by black women. Mm. My black female oh. friends have really shaped me in a way that to understand myself, mm. to be honest, you had to look after myself. Yeah. And through my black female friends. Yeah. Um, even understanding my own health. If yeah. I do that, it's come through my black female friends. It's true. They get me to look at certain things of myself and understanding me is being shaped by a lot of black women. And I just had so many powerful black women. I thought, you know what? I need to do about a project about black women. Yeah. And also, you know, it's the, the naturalness and the beauty and yeah. and celebration of black women. And that's what our project was about. It was stunning. And it was it was really beautiful to be a part of it. And I'm going to make sure I share some of the, the images of it on, on my Instagram, but I'll direct you to Othello's page as well in the show notes. But, um, you know, as as a black woman, like I've been photographed a lot and worked in different studios. And when this project came about, I was I immediately trusted Othello's um request and vision because I just I just knew that it would be respectful and meaningful um and you know I it, it was nude <laughs> and so I was like ah but he was like I'm gonna ensure that you feel uh comfortable and you know fully fully respected and and it will be a great shoot and there were just little bits of detail on that set you know, I had a female assistant, like when, whenever I felt uncomfortable, I could say, and, you know, obviously this is my friend, so I knew I'd be comfortable, but just watching the attention um, and the real passion for what Othello was doing with that, with that piece was really moving. And I think it really had an, a, a, an effect because it, it made quite a few headlines and had a lot of features. And I think, I, I mean, I speak for myself, but I think the women who have taken part in it as well, um, felt empowered too yeah, so. and, and the great thing is that i didn't even know i know to, out of all i think a couple of you i knew but some of the women are just women who came forward who had never been nude before oh really yeah, there's a couple of women there who came who've never been nude before but heard about the project but wanted to get involved mm. yeah nice okay well slightly moving on still Ooh. in the realm of your creations i was reading an interview earlier um in which you were talking about film and you said uh I enjoy the process of working with film. It's almost like a ritual, loading the film, which gives you time to think, and it's magical. Mm. Then going into the lab and that unsettling feeling, hoping everything has come out how I envisaged it. And I love that you described it as feeling like a ritual and magical. Mm. Um, so, and yeah, I've just, again, caught a clip of one of your uh, recent films. So how has film been moving you recently and that was talking about photography film because that was talking about how you load old 
old fashioned and you load everything. And so I'm really quite into this. Um, how it all connects to my life is that like I'm really into people like craft things. So when loading the film is like the old film is like you load the film, you've got to take it out. It's a whole process. Yeah, yeah. Something that I'm really interested in, and I think during the lockdown, I became more interested. In it. Like now, like I've got a tailor who makes stuff for me. Like I'm having a pair of sunglasses, mate. And I, I found my friend's dad, who's almost like retired, he's like almost retiring, and he makes the glasses by hand. It's, it's this connection to this craftsmanship that I really like, mm. and there's passion behind it. So when I'm working with film, it's like you roll the film, and there's a hands-on connection with it, and then you go to the lab, not knowing how it's going to turn it, how it's going to turn out. Just like this, I went to the other day, and he's, you know, he's, he's the elderly man now. I went to see him, and he was like, I'm going to do the glasses like this, and then I might have to do this. Workshops like mine are not around much these days. And you, you're talking to him, and this is like passion. Yeah. Done by hand. He goes, and I'll, when you don't like certain parts, I will, I'll, I will sand down certain parts. And I can relate that photography because it's just like it's craftsmanship. And, it's, and when he's looking at you, he's like, it's glint in his eyes because he knows everything, how the glasses should fit. That's our cheap photography. Yeah. Like that craftsmanship. And then when you talked about the film, for me, what it is, is like certain projects relate to certain projects. Like I'm working on another one, which has been like, I've been trying to raise the funding for three, more than three years now. Mm. And unfortunately, my dad passed now. So, and he, when he, he found out only about it in 2019. Right. I've been working on it for two years and he was going to be part of it. It's called Fathers and Sons Relationships. Oh, um, um, and it's a, it's a conceptual piece about, I and mean, we've got actually 180 Strand who offered to give us the space for the exhibition, mm. we've got to shoot the film, and we've got to raise the money, which is like 47,000, which, which we're trying to raise, and raising it, trying to raise it for the last like three, nearly three years, and we just, and we still, we nearly came close twice. Yeah. Sponsors, and then Brexit happened, and we lost it, and we lost out, and then it's like, anyway, but we're working. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. But what it is for me is that each project, lends itself to a specific medium. So if I try to do certain projects with a specific medium, it doesn't really highlight it in its best. In its best. So maybe that that certain project has to lend itself to film. Some have to be painting and some photography. It depends on the project, and that's how I treat it. So with film, for me, there are certain projects I cannot express it through photography. So that's when I have to switch to do it as, as a film. So uh, I, be, I guess both of them in their own right have elements of ritual to it and they inform, yeah, inform the process. I also really love what you're saying about being attracted to craftsmanship and that connection to it, as mm. in you're, you're, you enjoy it in your practice and then you're, you're being it in your world, as in like it, it reaches out to everything that you, everything that you do and are. Um, I love quality. You know? I mean, like, I'm not, I really like things that are, like quality like even the art shops i go to i used to go to like these really like big art shops like cat you know those big ones and I yeah yeah them. And i went there one day and someone's like oh just use that and i was like well i'm trying to have a conversation with you and the woman just like that one and i was like huh <laughs> yeah but now i started going to like this about two years ago i started going to the one near where i live it's like a family-run business yeah and i go there and like even like a few weeks ago he was like we got two we were thinking about you fellow and two canvases arrived and they've been torn, but they're the size that you use. And the manufacturer uh, said, just chuck them away and we'll replace, we'll, we'll replace the two that got damaged in transit. And he said, well, fellow, we thought of you, we kept it for you and let us know what if you want to use them and see if you can do something with it and do it. And I said, yeah, I'll take it. And it's really like, it's a family run business. The, 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 I think the son and the daughter runs it now. And the parents have sort of semi-retired and you go in there and it's like a conversation we're talking about the materials and there's another shop by British Museum, small shop, and you go there and you have a conversation. And I love that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, and, I hear you. But you can have talks about things like pigments and the right colour and you can describe the work. Maybe you need this. And it's like, I love those conversations. Just like the guy who was doing the glass. You, you have a conversation and it's, and when people are passionate about what they do, I love that. So if you're selling me, I think and it's exactly like my framers. This is my frame for my photography. I met them and the guy was just talking about the grains of woods and I was like, man, you've got me already. That's yeah. <laughs> you've got me. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. Like life is so much fuller when you can pay attention to like the intimacy of it. And, you know, quality as well is just 
experiencing attention you know people who are paying attention and there's so much to there's so many beautiful moments to be had like just the thought that like in that shop they could say oh we thought of you before we threw those out it just like yeah that that's the kind of I feel like there'll be a lot of that um a lot of people looking for that kind of um connection um post pandemic because I think the slowing down makes you realize what it is that you want And I think I've always been there because like, even my printer, Roy, that's printer called Bayer, right? And he prints, when he, when he goes into the print, because a lot of my work, exhibition work, is hand printing. When I kind of, mm. I, I do a lot of hand, I go for hand, even when I shoot digital, I transfer it to, to a negative to hand print it. Oh, right. And when Roy goes into the back dark, because I, yeah, I, even if I, if I can't afford to do it as a, a film project, I'll do it digital, then transfer it to, to, a, to, to negative afterwards. Yeah, okay. Hand printed. And Roy, when he goes in there, he will keep on doing prints until he gets it right. He's like, really? a bit of red in there. No, 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 no. you're not happy. <laughs> a few minutes. And this guy will keep on going until he gets it spot on. And then you mm. see that smirk on his face when he's got your print right. And you're like, you got it, Roy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew you wanted that. I thought a bit more there, a bit more like this. Da, da, da. And he's virtually just working it out. But it's like, that kind of attention and detail and that passion yeah yeah do you think your your dad had that as well that sort of like my dad was dapper my dad if you see pictures of my dad Mm. he was like he when he was when he was working always had tailor-made suits oh amazing yeah amazing I love it he always had tailor-made suits his car was always clean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like very Pacific, you know. When he was, anyway, when he retired, he, he let go for a little while, but you know. Mm. But and he was sort of coming back to it, and then yeah, but, yeah. But he was like, when he when he was working, he had to have his suits tailored because he wanted his trousers to fit right, and he Love was like, very Pacific. Love that. Um, you know the the this podcast is about the moments that that change your life, and it just so happened that you know, when I reached out to you in 2020, you did tell me that of your dad's passing during, during, during COVID. And, um, and, and, you know, thank you for, for sharing it with me in that moment, because, you know, it's always, it's just always very challenging. But one of the things that I've heard from you is that that moment has, has sort of been a shift in your life. Um, and, And for the positive in a way that like, in the way that you now are being and you know there's that old saying that that death has a way of creating new life yeah exactly um and I wondered if if you could share a little bit about that because I think it informs it informs your project yeah I said when my dad died it's like my dad was expecting that we were were actually making plans for the summer and Mm. he got COVID and when COVID happened he was more worried about me because I was in China the year in 2019 right I came back I had this really weird illness and he was so worried. And then when I was going off, because I teach at university sometimes, he was really worried about me. And then we had little jokes about what this COVID's about. Yeah. When, when he got it, but he didn't know he got it, because I found out, he, we joked about it. He goes, do you think you got COVID dead? And he was like, hey. And then oh. literally in a space of a week, it got really bad. And then he had to go to hospital. And then he, he died that that early morning, in the early morning. And I did mm-hmm. find a text saying that he had died. But what, what, we were the interesting thing is that we were talking about things because we he we there was a um a restaurant in Brixton that we we drove past and you could sit outside and he, we were talking about this in the winter again. We only said to me, Oh, when the summer comes, let's go to that restaurant, sit outside and have some food. Yeah. yeah we look forward. So he was expected, I would expect it, and it was an unexpected death. Yeah. Um, he did have diabetes, so I think when people have diabetes, that really the COVID really affects you more. More, yeah. Um but it's that moment when you see someone pass and my dad never lost that spirit for life. Yeah. He was a person who loved living. So when you see his life gone just like that and you weren't expecting it, yeah. he was making plans of other things. I think what it made me realise is that, you know what, life really is can just go at any moment. Yeah, so fragile. And he always used to say to me, like, stay positive, stay away from negativity. He always tried to keep a positive life below because, you know what, negativity will overtake you and it always was pushing saying work hard be positive and always produce quality and that's mm. when he passed it was like you know what life really does come to an end it's something like it hits you it's like it does really come to an end and especially someone who was full of life 
And I was like, you know what? I've shifted away from people in my life who I just felt have a negative interaction. I've cleared the deck. Yeah. Not in a way, but you know, just in a nice way, like I'm going to let you go with love. Mm, mm. Um, and I'm now going to live my life because my dad would have hated if he if he ever knew that I'd be like sitting there miserable going, oh, that's it. He would be like, he'd be turning his, he'd be, t- he got cremated, but he'd be turning wherever he is now. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be like, what are you doing? He'd be slapping me head going, wake up, enjoy yeah. your and that, yeah. you know, I'm going to push my life as much, do everything I can, push it, don't have no boundaries. Like, just go do what the living life that you want. Because at the end of the day is, we're all going to end up one place. So you know what? And like, I wrote literally, someone offered me, someone did write, asked me to do this teacher training recently. Mm. I wrote this letter to the university. No, I don't. I said, actually, you know what? What I bring to university is my, my practice. I don't want to do teacher training. And it's like, after this period, I want to live the life I want to live. Yeah. I offered something in America recently to teach, you know, more full-time. And I was like, no, more money. But you know what? I just want to live my life. Whatever it means, it's not about how much money I have. I just want to live my life and make sure that I'm doing the things so that, you know, when you get you get to a certain age, I want to smile rather than being, oh, I wish I lived my life over again. I don't want to yeah. be yeah yeah gosh thank you for sharing that so beautifully you know every now and again I meet people who there's like ways that they are that makes me curious about their parents because I'm like you're just so there's something about you that like you must have had a bit of grounding or like teaching from and as you've shared like all of these um these traits and teachings that your dad gave like the beauty is that so much of him will live in you in in what you value um so yeah it's really beautiful so thank you for sharing that I mean another area in which I think you have definitely you were living your life courageously and and exploring is that you're another one of my artist friends who has been to my hometown Uganda Kampala and I just and you loved and you know that was yeah that was a residency right oh my god you know just sitting I've been to Morocco before that but just sitting foot on the continent is just and then Uganda was amazing because like because we've had this rumor in my family that there's East African in my family. I know people thought I was East African anyway. From yeah. And so when I was there, people were like, are you Ugandan? My name, you're Orokello. I a woman wrote on a bit of paper when I was doing my receipt. I said, I'm a fellow. She goes, and she called her friend and goes, he's one of them. <laughs> he goes, one of them. And I know what she meant. She wanted us to go abroad and they come back and thinking they're more... They're no longer... Oh, no longer, like, Ugandan enough. So she thought you were just trying to be, like, it's actually Othello, not... Because Othello's an Acholi. Was she thinking it was a Acholi? A Acholi. Yeah, because she thought I was on the border. You know, look at the part when you're on the border between Kenya and Nezabu. Yeah, yeah. So she actually wrote Othello on the on my feet. <laughs> one of them. I was like, no, I'm not. Because <laughs> she thought I was going to I'm coming and they're all stush now. And they're like, I'm trying to be all... And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> And she literally, Ugandans can be women that can be, can be fight feisty. Oh, that's so funny, yeah. Goes, In a subtle way, though. She goes, he's one of them. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm literally not. I'm literally, I'm telling you the truth. That's so funny. I think you did a, were you doing a bit with 93 Feet East? I was there and I did a residency. And I didn't know what I was going to do when I went there. I just knew that I read about this red soil. Yeah. The first starting point. I had no clue. And I just went there and I adapted this thing like after two weeks of keeping quiet, listening and letting the stories and the atmosphere detect the work. And then when I got there, what I realised was that so many people, because I think Uganda's got the second youngest population in Africa. Yeah, yeah. And um, everybody was just saying, I don't want to live in Europe. I want to live in Uganda. We need infrastructure. Yeah. And they were saying, I was like, this, the narrative that you get in, in in the West is like, oh, every African wants to live in the UK. They were like, no. No. They were in Europe and they got, when they were said they were leaving, just it was like, but you got a visa to stay. And she was like, no, I'm going back to Uganda. Yeah. And all I got was, I want to stay in Uganda. And they weren't talking about Uganda. They're actually talking about Africa as a whole, as well as Uganda. Mm. Interesting. And all they kept saying is, all we want is infrastructure so we can do our work, do our work wherever we are, even if we make even what we can send, like one guy in Uber was like, he, he does like computer stuff. He goes, I can get so much contracts around the world if I had fast internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah talking about infrastructure. Infrastructure. So many people who were just, and they were just so fed up with the Western narrative of Uganda and Africa. 
they were just telling me all the time. And I thought, you know what? That's what my product's about. And that's why I had everybody. I wanted to use local local tailors. I even got with the, the guy who was trying to do contemporary um, the, the bark cloth, but making it into contemporary colours, which I used in the background. Yeah, yeah. Things. But it was all about the local people and working. It was like a collaboration with them. Yeah. Because they were just saying all the same, all saying the same thing. We love our country. We love Africa. Yeah. But we need to be able to network to the rest of the world. And all we need is give us the infrastructure and we can do it. And we can do it. It's so incredible because that is what I loved. You know, my experience going back, I was born in Kenya when I was younger and then grew up here. But sorry, born in Kenya when I was young. All right, I'll start again. I was born in Kenya and came to London when I was three and then spent all of my life here until I think 18, 18 when I went back for my first trip. But obviously I'd picked up on the exact same narrative that which was kind of like, you know, Africa's a terrible place. You won't have fun. Like everyone wants to leave and come to Europe. But when I started going back, what I realized was like, first of all, a beautiful creative um, like community, which was like thriving with what they had. And also this very cool um, sense of people who, of young people who were like, nah, like they could be in Canada. They could be in America. They were like, no, no, no. Like we want to be here. Mm -hmm. And I I love the way that um, Ugandan artists support Ugandan artists. They're not looking to America, you know, like in, like I think in West Africa, a lot of um, young people listen to American music Mm -hmm. in Kampala. They're like, no, I'm listening to like the local, like, Bobby Wine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Reggae, which is surprised me. There was like a lot of like, I was like, wow. It's like, yeah, Bobby Wine and reggae. That's I was like, wow, okay. Well, there's a big Rasta community um in, in Kampala, which is great as well. I had this guy who come who who, who come, some guy you gotta meet him, and he come, he walked to my studio go with a Jamaican accent going, Yeah man. I was like, What? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, What did you come from England? He's like, No nah, man, I come straight from yard. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> So straight from, I don't know what the connection is between, I don't think you need a visa if you're Jamaican, and like straight from Jamaica, straight to Uganda. And I was like, whoa. It's like, mm. I actually keep thinking about, should I get a, so I, you know, part of me feels like, should I get a plot of land somewhere and build yeah. a studio? Because there's a place that a lot of creatives are moving to. Yeah. In Kampala. I think I think we I think you should slash we should as in like I think the global community particularly people like yourself who have experienced it I, I just it. I think that if we were maybe this is one for like off the record but um my sister's like got got her land and planning you know some time back there but I think if if as a collective of artists we were like it wouldn't cost that much for us to put together something and get like a bit of land and like even just have it as an option, whether it's like you create from there or, but I think, I think it's a good move. Yeah. Cause a friend of mine out there, Gloria, she said that there's an area that she's living in. She runs the African fashion week, um, Kapala fashion week. And apparently they're all trying to create, there's a movement around there and it's become like a creative hub around there. Oh really? Yeah. Is that in Kampala or outside? Just past Kampala, as you're going past the mm-hmm. hotel that I was staying in, and they keep going down, and on the way to Gather Beach, but it's on the left-hand side. It's the area. I'll tell you the name. I've got the name of it. Oh, uh, please. What? So have they all set up, like, are they making a community then? Well, it's a bit more expensive than normal park Kampala, but they're all, like, creators are moving there, like, designers and da 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 and they're trying to make it into something. Oh, the other option is to go to Ginger, but this part where they said that it's Kalukalu, or is it? I was like, I'm going to name it. Kalukalu, or I'll say your name anyway. I'm send me the name. Send me the name. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, these are the moves. Like, I think that the other thing, you know, that some people might not know, the flip side of it is like the way you live and eat is, I don't know if you felt this, but you kind of, when you spend a, a bit of time there, you suddenly feel a bit lighter and it's like, oh, wasn't expecting that. And then after a few weeks, it's like, oh, what is like, what is that lightness? And I guess the lightness is kind of like, when you're in a place where you're literally, you're not even thinking about, second thinking about all the things that come up in the Western world yeah. that sometimes are there that you don't even realise that you're yeah. cautious of. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's a different kind of freedom. And I believe that I also like eat a lot, uh, eating from the garden and like, mm-hmm. I just eat very well there because it's, you know, it's all so cheap. I mean, I try to eat well all everywhere, but our garden has so many... um 
Oh, I love the food out there. It's like great. food and the people. And you, like you said, don't have to question yourself. And then people recognize you. Because when I was in, when I was in the other part of Kampal, not the, you know, the main part, I come out of my hotel and the guy was like, you must be a, you must be a fashion designer or something. And I was like, how do you know? <laughs> like, it wasn't like questioning the questions you get in England. It was like different. It was like, and I was like, how can you say that? And he was like, uh, I can tell you lot the way you lot dressed. He's like, you must be a fashion designer or, or an artist. Something or like artist, that. yeah. You just like, wow. It's like, <laughs> this is this is interesting. He goes, and it was just like those conversations. And it was just like, so you kind of like, when you're there, it's like they, they, they really know what you are because they say, oh, they can tell what you like. Mm. I had this great conversation. And it was just like, and then, and you know, the people... And of all the other shortcomings and stuff, but the, the I was I was treated like people were just reached out to me a lot, and no one asked anything. They reached, and I've got so many people that I still keep in contact. Call me regularly. Yeah, I support this youth group out there because they're doing this youth charity, and I support them. Yeah. Um, but I just met the most beautiful people who were just like, like so beautiful and yeah. so well, and went overboard. Yeah. I was, you know, make sure I was okay and stuff. Oh, yeah. you, they're so good at hospitality. Like, it's really, yeah, the way that, like, a Ugandan will show you, like, especially once they've decided that they like you and you're in the family, like, a Ugandan will, for years and years, have your back. Like, it's, um, yeah. I so many magicals in my life. That's so funny. I never had, literally, I was like, I was like, what? I was like, wow. <laughs> oh so funny I love it I love I love that connect that we've got there it really makes me smile yeah and it wasn't because I was a western it was just like there's lots of women out there looking for husbands I was just like coming up all the time (sighs) oh my god they're so ready to like like marry and couple it's it's quite it was like if you say you're single it's like you're single why 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 are you married no and, you know, obviously, I'm, you know, I wasn't single, but I wasn't, I wasn't married. And like, they only ask you the question, ask you, are you married? And I was like, no. Oh, <laughs> no wife? No. Okay. <laughs> Jump. <laughs> Why'd you say no wife? That's it. Oh, so funny. There's um, one, one question that I think is, is timely and incorporates... Hmm. your work the 2020 solo exhibition catalogue of emotions hmm. um how did you create that during the pandemic and so that was the first time a guy that i was trying to work with for ages and i got this show and i just automatically you know it's always about the thing is like when you get a show which i could you know possibly could have done it with them but i remember this guy i had we, we always talked and i thought no let's give him the opportunity hmm. you know, um this given the opportunity to do his first show. Yeah. He did. And it was the first show that I brought the painting and the photographer together. And how how was that? How did it feel? Was it a mix a mixture of new new and old, or was it all created? It was not a mixture of new and old. I, but work, I, I was working on the work all the time because I'm always making work. So it's like I've got so much work, you can just go into my studio and, and literally like a jigsaw puzzle. Okay, let me just take work and create a show. I did it and people were like, oh my God, because sometimes that photography is seen as the lower hierarchy in the art world. Right. In this show, everybody was saying it was like, there's no hierarchy. It was like, I mean, all, there's a language going on between the photography and the paintings. Mm. People were like, oh my God, I prefer your paintings. And some were like, I like your photography. You know, there was like different people like different things. But as a whole, people were like, oh my God, this really highlights how photography and things shouldn't be separated. It's like, this is an exhibition about art. And it was, Beautiful to see all these mediums together. But also some people didn't know I was painting. And I also did some word pieces as well, because I also do word pieces. And people didn't know that. So when mm. they came like, you do word pieces, you do painting, I didn't even know all this stuff. And I'm like, well, it's because I don't have a gallery that shows all my work. I don't have a gallery at the moment. Was you got gallery readings about and also that people sort of always think I just do photography, but it's just that the work hasn't been out there enough. People are like, but a lot of people were surprised. They were like, mm. I thought you, were, you weren't doing much. I was like, you've created all this? I said, well, that's why I'm quite surprised because I'm busy doing work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, 
you are this is what I was gonna wanted to come to you are the first man that I have on Mondo Moments because I launched in international on International Women's Day and for that month I had you know a host of glorious women Shingi Shonua, Janelle Lewis like Joycelyn Longdon so I've been mainly speaking to women and then I did a little poll on my Instagram stories where I was like I think I just need to open Mm. this up and not stick to one like one type of person and then everyone you know it was unanimous and I was happy mm. everyone was like yeah obviously um because obviously all the stuff that I I often do with like sisterhood and women I tend to um yeah just focus my work but I thought it was so important to expand um mainly because I well I'm a spirit-led person and I see people as like souls and illuminous and like I don't worry and gender is irrelevant in that way for me you know if you're if you're a luminous you're a luminous but, I'm in touch but with feminine side. there you go so. So, sorry i didn't hear that i said i'm in touch with my feminine side and i'm quite aware of that so. exactly well i i enjoy that and i think what i've observed in in men normally who seem to um just have this grounding and i think sort of power actually they are they are in touch with their feminine energy and mm. I wanted to ask you, rather than say, what does masculinity mean to you? What does what does the phrase like a modern man mean to you in, in 2021? Um, and how do you balance those energies? Because you do it like so brilliantly. Okay. First of all, is acknowledging that you've got a feminine, it takes years that you like realise. And sometimes it's been, you know, some women don't like, you know, I've had racial women like, oh, you, you've got feminism. I'm like, I don't like it. And I'm like, well, you know, what can I do? Mm. Embrace it. Embrace you know, it. Embrace that you've got a feminine side. Um, I don't need to be macho because what does, you know, you realise that all that machoism and all that stuff, it kind of just holds back your life. Do you know what? You're not free. You're just like, are you being true to yourself? Um, that's another thing. Statistics show that it's damaging because damaging. We've, we've, yes. we've seen the, the rates of suicide in men exactly. specifically. And you know what? I don't, again, it's what I said earlier on, I don't really care how I'm judged anymore. I'm just me. You know, whether I've got a feminine side and I've got things, I don't even question it anymore. It's just this, this aspects of me. Mm, aspects. Yeah, I love that phrase. Aspects of you. Embrace that part of me. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, fair enough. If you like, like women say, "Oh, I like the men to be matched," even that is, is in a way toxic. Yeah, I mean, like, I want a man to be, like, what does that mean? Mm. You know, because you're creating, you're you're also perpetrating this 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 toxic thing with men. If you say, "I want a real man," or a man, like, what is a real man? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also this thing is like people are like, "Oh, I don't want to be." At, because I'll be conceived seed as gay or da, da, da. it's like what does it matter I remember I, I'm not lying to you I remember somebody I like one day and I now and again I wear black nail polish on my thumb sometimes love it someone said to me but wouldn't would like and they were really they really disturbed they're like but are you worried that some might think you're gay and I said why would I be yeah yeah like it doesn't matter it's like what does it matter if someone it's that the people want to think that because of that. That's their problem. It's not my problem. Mm. I'm getting on with my life, you know. The way that you're able to embrace this and be with it and be with yourself, I feel like you're like, I'm just, I'm Othello being Othello, but I'm seeing, or I want to highlight that in a society where men have um, so many standards and conditions pushed on them, the way that you're being mm. is actually like, I want to say revolutionary or or it's ahead of your time. I think Gen Z, what I love about the younger generation is that they seem to really like they're done with labels and they're moving in such an inspiring way. But um, you're kind of ahead of your generation with this. And it's really cool. It's like I've always been this way, but it's, I don't know any, it's like I'm, but I've got, I've got more, I've grown more confident in being this way. That's what the difference is. Or maybe I'm not confident, but I've grown more confidence in this way. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Your, yeah, your voice, your story, your way of being, which is my favourite phrase ever, is is so important. And I, I hope, um, I really hope a lot of young black men, um, I was going to say who are inspiring artists, aspiring artists, but just young men hear this because um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very important voice and experience, I think. So 
Thank you for being uh, fully yourself. What are your thoughts on um, the way in which we're visible and invisible in the UK as particularly as, as black artists? Okay. We are invisible because there's a narrative about us. Everybody has a narrative about us and they want to put the narrative on us without speaking to us sometimes. Mm. So it's like, I will put my narrative on you. I will determine how you are. So some people come to me and interview me and they will say, I don't know, as a black artist, da -da 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 -da, and I'm saying, okay, stop. Yeah. Can we just start getting to know who I am as a first? Right, right. There's not just one identity of blackness. Mm. Millions of us. If you're a person who's white, there's like, they're just a person, they're an artist or this person. There's an individualism in this person. When it's black, it's like you're covered. There's this blackness, right? So, yes, we all share uh, uh, different sk uh, skin tones. Where you grew up, who your parents are, what country you come from, mm. even where you come from in that country, even the growing up in London, if you grew up in South London or North London, mm. your life, even if you grew up in the same borough, and you grow up on one side of the borough to the other, determines who you are. No, this 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 lack of respect for our individualism, that's what bothers me. So that's it. Um, that's what I find. I say that we need to be able to stand our ground now and not put up of it. So if everyone comes to interview me and they're like, oh, they start off with the black, 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 black. I'm like, okay, we stop here. Yeah, yeah. Me, come with better questions and then I might accept the interview. Mm, mm. example that will summarise this a, a couple of years ago more than a few years ago I was going for a Covent Garden and a woman ran up to me who was doing this you know the fundraising thing she goes oh I love African Americans I love the she's like um, African American Indian I love African Americans I've got some African American friends I looked at her and I waited to finish and I said to her before I leave you yeah. I've got my hand my name's Othello and I walked yeah. off oh, you know what she did God. Yeah. Ran up to me and she started crying. Oh, God. I said, she goes, I am so sorry. And I said, because that statement, what I did to her, yeah. I didn't want to question about it. Like, do, yeah. you can do the whole. You went, here is my name. I didn't want to do that because I'm very much this minimalist thing. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I, I allow people to use their brain. I'm very much like that. Even my work, I allow you to come with your own. I allow you to think about the work. Yeah, yeah. One statement to her was, before I, I let her finish, didn't interrupt her. She was going about her African-American friends and she got, oh. I just put my hand out and I said, and she put her hand out and I said, before I leave you, my name's Othello and I walked off. And that's that, so powerful. That woman, she ran after me and she started crying and going, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. It just hit her. Yeah. Because she didn't... Yeah. She wasn't even seeing you. She was seeing this whole generalisation-like thing and then placing you in it without even taking the time to say... Exactly. What's your name? So when I when I do these interviews now, I'm like, if you're going to come with that... So we have to take... We won't change people, but when we start demanding what we want, of respect what we want and to understand, then we'll create a change. But if mm. I don't believe in this begging, begging, like, oh, please, please see us, I'm just not going to engage with you if you come with me that. Yeah. Then you change it. And it, I'm not going to be begging, like, oh, the, 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 the white world needs to accept me. I don't want to be accepted. I don't need to be accepted. You don't need you know, to I'm be. happy who I am. But what I am good, but if you engage with me, we're going to meet in equal, one, equals, I'm not your person. Oh, you gave me opportunities. I know I'm working hard. So this is not, you give me, to give me a show or something but I'm doing the work so I had the skills and the, the talent that you know yeah not, yeah not, that, not like oh it's like please you gave me the best no that's one yeah you meet on equal terms but you if you're gonna meet me you're gonna meet me as a fellow and I'm yeah that. but if you can't meet me on the on, as a fellow and start coming to me with your perceptions of what black people are yeah you put that on me you can keep it because I'm not gonna engage with you mm. and I would say to you Come back to me when you are ready to engage with a fellow. And I don't mind talking about the fact you said things that we're going through as a community. Yeah. When you start the conversation where you're open to listen rather than mm. coming with your narrative. And then you start with the whole conversation about, oh, black, da da da, black, that. But you don't even know if I even need, what if I was one of these black people who don't even engage in all that? 
Yeah, who don't connect to it. Yeah, if I was adopted by a white family and never had an experience of it, you know, I'm not yeah. sure that would be any difference because you still have certain experiences of like we know there's racism, we know that we know that got stuff, but at least get to know the person and then we can move the conversation on and yeah. those things. But don't come with my whole story written before you even spoke to me. Yeah, so true. Oh, thank you for that. There's really nothing to add there because you put it so perfectly. I love that you have created nonetheless and the invisibility is actually, the invisibility to them hasn't affected you because you're visible to the people that, you know, that are important, you know, and the people who can see it and, that, and that's who it's for. So it's a very powerful stance to take. We're there because you don't choose to see us, but we need to have the confidence to say, we, you know, yeah, I'm right here. It's about loving our. It's about loving ourselves first, isn't it? Rather than seeking to be like accepted from the outside. It's like if you fully believe it, then you don't actually need their approval. They're there or not. It, you know. Oh, I love it. Then you start engaging people who really do see you as a person and who you are, because you know, mm-hmm. that, and then they will come to you because that thing in your life. You once you open a door or you become comfortable in yourself, you attract the people like that. And the ones who don't, well, then you keep walking, right? Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Othello. That was like dreamy. (laughs) Um, Thank you for joining me. And thank you all for listening. If you are enjoying Mondo Moments, please remember to like, subscribe and share. You can also leave a review. That would be quite nice because then I could read what you love and what you don't. And then just do more of what you love and less of what you don't. And I wanted to let you know, I also have a Mondo Moments room on Clubhouse. So if you're using that app, you can hear some more conversations in that room in the coming weeks. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.